0: Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. Brand new week, brand new opportunity to worship the Lord and serve the Lord this week. And listen, I know that uh, it's a busy time with the summer. Uh, We're beginning the summer and uh, lots of exciting things are happening. Uh, But I want to let you know a couple things that are happening at Hickory Ridge Community Church right here in Chesapeake, Virginia on July 2nd. July 2nd is a Sunday, and uh, of course, that is a busy week, the July 4th uh, summer weekend. But on Sunday, July the 2nd, uh, we're going to have worship in the park. Uh, We're going to have one service at 10 a.m., and it's going to be at the Northwest Park, and uh, one service at 10 o'clock. Bring a chair, bring a lawn chair, and uh, we'll have service there at the park, and then we'll have a cookout and uh, play some games like cornhole and and horseshoes and volleyball. And so you are invited to worship with us at the park on July the second, Northwest Park at ten o'clock a.m. I would love to see you there. And if you join us on that Sunday, let me know that you heard me on the broadcast, and that'll be such a blessing to me. Well, I'm so glad that you're joining us today because uh, this broadcast today and tomorrow, I want to talk to you about five ways that we can bless students. And, uh, you know, it's graduation time. We've got kids graduating from college and, and high school, and and uh, it's an exciting time of the year. Uh, so have you ever thought about how you could bless students? Children and students, in my opinion, need heavy doses of blessing. And so I want to look at a passage, and it's called one of the pastoral Epistles. Now, when God gave us His word, He knew that the church was going to get started. And so He gave us the book of Acts, called the Acts of the Apostles. And it records the early history of the church. But then God also knew that, uh, you know, the church would need some guidance. So the Bible is comprised of epistles. And these are letters that are written to the various churches and uh, instruction on what to do in these churches, you know, how to handle conflict. How to Handle Doctrinal Error, and then God gave us a section of books in the New Testament, and they are called the Pastoral Epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Now, these three letters were written so that we would know how to govern the church and where the church should put its emphasis and how the church ought to be operating. And so, it talks about officers within the church— It talks about the governance of the church. It talks about who should be leading the church. And so I want to spend a little time on one particular chapter in a pastoral epistle, 1 Timothy chapter 4. So Paul is writing to young Timothy. And Timothy was a convert of the apostle Paul. Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith. So Paul probably led personally to the Lord Timothy. Timothy came from a God-faring home. He was growing up in the faith, and so uh, he has a pretty good foundation. And now he is transitioning as he's growing and uh, maturing in his faith, and Paul's going to give him the assignment of being the pastor at the church of Ephesus. And so he knows that because Timothy is young, he's going to need some instruction, and he's going to need some encouragement, he's going to need some guidance. And so Paul writes 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, to Timothy, talking about how the church ought to operate, and then he writes a letter to Titus and explaining to Titus how the church ought to operate. So let's pick it up at First Timothy chapter four, and let's look at verses one and two, and then we'll drop down to verse seven through 16. Verse number one, The Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the truth. Now as I read that, um, I want to encourage you, don't despair. It says there that some will turn away from the truth. Don't think that all are going to turn away from the truth in the last times. God always has a remnant of people. Some will turn from the truth. Don't despair. What are they going to do? They're going to follow very deceptive spirits. And they're going to follow teachings that come from demons. Uh, So don't despair some will fall away, but don't get distracted. Uh, Don't get distracted with these deceptive spirits. Uh, They're following demons, okay? These people, Paul says, are hypocrites, they're liars, and their consciences are dead. Now, when Paul is writing this, he may have had in the back of his mind a letter that he wrote to the Romans. And he begins the book of Romans by talking about the fact that some have given themselves over and their consciences have become seared or their consciences have become deadened. And here Paul is referring to those type of people and what he calls them is hypocrites, liars, and their conscience are dead. That's why they don't get under the convicting power of the Word of God, of the Holy Spirit, because their consciences are dead. Now, now they can be converted. Uh, They've got to be awakened to the Holy Spirit. Uh, But until that time, they are blinded to the truth. And so, I would encourage you to not detour. Uh, Don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about those hypocritical liars whose consciences are dead. And then we drop down to verse number seven. Again, reminding us that this is an epistle that is written to young Timothy. So, Timothy, don't despair. Some are going to turn away. Don't take that personally. Uh, That's one of the toughest lessons uh, that I had to learn as a pastor when people abandoned the faith. I used to take it personally. I used to say, well, maybe I'm not teaching uh, them strong enough, or maybe I haven't invested in them enough. And, And the last times, the Holy Spirit clearly says, some will turn away. Don't despair. Don't let that get you down. Uh, They're following deceptive spirits, and they're not following the Spirit of God. They're following teachings that come from demons. So don't get distracted. Uh, We know who these people are. Uh, Their conscience is seared. Verse number seven, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wise tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Uh, So don't waste a whole lot of time arguing over godless ideas. You know, uh, sometimes I see we get philosophical, right? And uh, we spend a lot of time wishing for the good old days, right? I wish that it was better today than it was yesterday. Uh, But I want you to know that uh, as you look at life, there's good years and there's bad years. (laughs) You might have a good decade in a bad decade, instead of arguing over godless ideas and old wise tales as to why you're going through what you're going through. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, Paul says, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and a life to come. Uh, So, Paul mentions physical training. It's good, okay? To a degree, it helps you to have a better life a stronger life, but it's not going to help you in the life to come. Paul says if you train yourself to be godly, there are benefits on this life and the life to come. Verse 9. Now, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and we continue to struggle. For our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, particularly of believers. Teach these things. Insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anybody look down on you because you are young. Be an example to all believers of what you say and the way that you live in your love, your faith, and your purity until I get there. Focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging believers, and teaching them. Don't neglect the spiritual gift that you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Now, here Paul is giving us a hint to pastoral ministry, talking about those who are called into ministry. And you know, when I think about the call to ministry, it's a very special call. It doesn't make you better than anybody else. It just sets you apart for a special use that God has in mind for you, and uh, and that should be recognized by others. And uh, not too long ago in one of our classes, uh, one of our starting point classes, somebody was asking me about the home church movement and what I thought about the home church movement. And I'll be honest, I don't have anything necessarily, any problem with it per se. I said, my only concern with the home church movement is I'm not sure that they have put into place the character traits of what it means to be a church and what it means to be a member of the church, what it means to have the governance of the church, what it means to be sending out missionaries and sending out pastors and teachers and church discipline and so uh when you think about a church, it's not a building uh where people come uh to worship. that's just a facility to house people, but the church is a group of people called out of darkness into the marvelous light, who have uh, decided to join the church, they put their faith and trust in Christ. They've been baptized, they identify with the church, and they carry out the five purposes of the church, that is discipleship, and fellowship, and evangelism, and using the gifts to serve one another. And so when you think about the purposes of the church, uh, I'm not sure that the home church movement is able to accommodate and able to fit the true definition of a church. And here we see that Paul is reminding Timothy that when God called him into ministry that he was not to neglect the spiritual gift that he received so when they laid hands on Timothy and they sent him out uh, he was given the gift of a pastor that ability to to lead a congregation to oversee a congregation as a matter of fact when I go through the process of ordaining uh, men into the ministry one of the things i ask them about is their call Uh, We don't need any more mama called and daddy called and sister called and brother called. We need men of God who are divinely called by God into ministry, and that is recognized by the church. Paul says the elders of the church see your progress. In other words, they don't call you into ministry. The church doesn't call you into ministry, but the elders of the church, they see the progress in you. They see the calling on you. They recognize that call. Verse 16, Paul says, So keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. And so Paul is reminding Timothy of a solemn obligation that he has to watch how he lives and to watch what he teaches because his salvation depends on solid theology and the salvation of those who hear him. In other words, he has a broader audience, and maybe Paul had in mind what James said about being a teacher. He said, now, don't rush into being a teacher because you're under a stricter judgment, because you're going to be accountable not only for your own lives and what you teach, but for the lives of those who hear what you teach. That's why we need to be proclaiming solid biblical doctrine. So that those who hear us can grow and mature in the faith. I guess we could say Paul is saying to Timothy, you do to others what I am doing for you. I'm training you to be godly. I want you to train others to be godly. You've got to watch how you live your life. You've got to watch your teaching. You've got to stay true to what is right. For your sake and for the sake of those who hear you. Well, we covered a lot. That's pretty much all of chapter 4. But let me focus in, for the sake of the topic today and tomorrow, of how we can bless students. And we're going to look at verse 12 specifically. Paul says, don't let anybody think less of you because you are young. Now, this is a great encouragement to students. Now, I started a ministry as a very young person. I was leading a youth group when I was a teenager, and we didn't have a youth pastor at our church at that particular time. And uh, I was in a high school, and I said, well, uh, I can teach the youth Sunday school class. And so as a 16-year-old kid, uh, I started teaching the youth Sunday school class. And uh, it's amazing that they listened to me. Because I was as green as green could be, and uh, I wasn't the most mature person, but somebody had to teach the class. And I said, well, uh, if nobody else wants to do it, I'll do it. As a matter of fact, God actually prepared me for this time. I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home, and uh, I have uh, four sisters, two brothers. So a pretty good-sized family, seven of us kids. And uh, when we were growing up, we used to play church. I don't know if you ever did this as a kid, but we used to play church, and all my sisters were very good at playing the piano. And so they would play on the piano, and they would lead us in a song, and we'd sing it together. And I was always the preacher. And so I had my old, uh, I had a big old King James Bible. Uh, It had these amazing pictures in it, and I didn't really know how to preach, but I would just open up my Bible, and I'd find one of those pictures. And I look at that picture, and I would formulate a sermon based upon that picture. So if I open it up to Noah's Ark, uh, well, we we're going to talk about Noah today. Uh, if I open it up to uh, Jesus walking on the water, uh, well, we we're going to talk about Jesus walking on the water. And so my family would listen to my sermons. They weren't very long. They weren't very good. But uh, that's where I began teaching, right? Uh, just as a kid. So here we see that Paul is saying to Timothy, don't, any, don't let anybody look down on you. Just because you're young doesn't mean we can be disrespectful to you. It means that we should recognize that God has a special calling on you, even as a young person. But then he says, here's how you should be living your life. All right, Timothy, be an example to all believers in what you say, the way you live, in your love, your faith, and in your purity. Uh, So here are five ways that we can bless students, right? Taken from that verse 12, 1 Timothy 4, 12. Uh, Number one is with encouraging words. We're going to spell out the word walk, and then we're going to spell out the word, uh, well, we're going to have P, walk P, walk in purity is where we are going with the lesson today. Uh, So with encouraging words, be an example to all believers And what you say, how you say it. In Proverbs 16 24, it says, kind words, they're like honey. They are sweet to the soul and they are healthy for the body. Now, encouraging words is so important, right? God has called us to have this gift of encouragement. Now, in order to, to really drive home how important this is, I want to look at the life of Hezekiah. there's two guys in the Old Testament that are very fascinating. One is a guy by the name of King Sennacherib. The other is King Hezekiah. Well, we learned that King Hezekiah sent a message to Isaiah the prophet to learn what God said on certain matters. Because Hezekiah finds himself in a pickle. He finds that King Sennacherib has blasphemed the Lord. And he's bringing these threats against Israel. And he's given these threats specifically against Jerusalem. So Isaiah tells the king's messengers, this is what I want you to tell Hezekiah. Tell him this is what the Lord says. And this is found in 2 Kings chapter 19. Don't be afraid of the words you have heard. With which the servant of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me. Behold, I'm going to put a spirit in him that he will hear a rumor and return it to his own land, where I will cause him to fall by the sword. Now, this is fascinating, right? Because this does coincide with what we are learned in 1 Timothy chapter 4, talking about those who follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Listen, I find that those who want to follow deceptive spirits. They become their own undoing. Here we see that we have encouragement. Uh, Hezekiah is encouraged because Isaiah reminds him that the Lord is going to take care of this situation. That old Sennacherib, he's going to give into a spirit, he's going to give into a rumor. Uh, You know that phrase, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Well, if you live by rumors, you're going to die by rumors, and he's going to die from a rumor that's going to turn on his own head. He's going to fall by the sword. Let's look deeper into who Sennacherib is, okay? Sennacherib was the king of Assyria, and he reigned from 720 BC to 683 BC. Now, archaeologists have uncovered the remains of the palace Uh, where he ruled from. It's near the ancient city of Nineveh. Now, during the reign of Hezekiah in Judah, Sennacherib invaded Judah. Now, he was heading toward Jerusalem. That was his goal. So he starts on these outskirts of Judah, working his way toward Jerusalem. Now, Assyria had already conquered the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC and had taken the people captive. As a matter of fact, 2 Kings 18, 12 says, this happened. Uh, we know when it happened. We know why it happened. It happened because God's people did not listen to the voice of the Lord their God. Uh, they violated his covenant. And all that Moses and all the servants of the Lord had commanded to them, they wouldn't listen, nor would they obey. So Sennacherib the Assyrian is poised to conquer Judah and Jerusalem. And uh, we learn that King Sennacherib's men goes and they attacked 46 of Judah's fortified cities, captured them. This is actually recorded in Isaiah 36. They lay hold on these cities, and now they're heading toward Jerusalem. And this is where Hezekiah is like in desperation. This is where he cries out to Isaiah, And he does something else, not only does he find out instruction from Isaiah, but in his desperation, Hezekiah sends gold and silver as peace offerings to the Assyrians, to specifically to the power-hungry Sennacherib. So the Lord sent word to Hezekiah that Sennacherib would not step foot inside the city of Jerusalem. So Hezekiah stood for him refused to give in to the Assyrian king's boastful threats. So we learn that this peace offering, it didn't make a difference in the mindset of Sennacherib. He says, oh, great, I appreciate this gift, but it's not going to stop my plans. I'm not going to be appeased by these gifts. So he continues on with his threats, and he continues on to terrify the citizens of Jerusalem, and he's taunting out, his men are taunting out on the wall. And what does Hezekiah do? We learn that Hezekiah doesn't respond in kind. He doesn't try to outshout Sennacherib's men outside the wall. Instead, he turns to his people and he says to his people, Be strong, be courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for there is a greater power with us then with him. With him is only the arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God that's going to help us fight our battles. (laughs) Don't you love that? Instead of confronting the enemy, instead of trying to say, okay, we're going to overpower you, outshout you, he turns to God first through the prophet Isaiah, and then he turns to his people and says, I need to encourage you. Hezekiah sends messengers to Isaiah the prophet to learn what God said on the matter because Sennacherib had blasphemed the Lord and his threats against Jerusalem. Isaiah told the king's messengers, tell your master this is what the Lord says. As a matter of fact, this wonderful speech that Hezekiah gives to his people is a speech that was given to him by Isaiah the prophet. Hezekiah received a message from Isaiah, and he gladly gives his message to Sennacherib, and he gladly gives his message to encourage his people. And look what it says. It says, Do not let the God you depend upon deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given to the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the king of Assyrians have done to all the countries destroying them completely, and you will think you're going to be delivered? Now, that is the response of Sennacherib. Hezekiah gives his peace offering to Sennacherib. Sennacherib says, you know, this is not going to appease me. This is not going to slow me down. Just as I defeated all these other countries, uh, they tried to trust their gods. As a matter of fact, this is what he says. He says, did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? In other words, no, those gods couldn't help them, and neither can your gods help you. King Sennacherib, he had a long list of victories, and he was boasting about these victories, but Hezekiah refused to give in. Although uh, he had this victory, Sennacherib, of conquering 185,000 of those enemies, he was moving on ahead. The prophet Isaiah said, don't be afraid. You know, the psalmist reminds us Nobody can hide from the Lord. One day, as Sennacherib was worshiping his gods in the temple, his own sons killed him with a sword. Thus, Isaiah's prophecy was fulfilled. Oh, my friend, one of the ways we can help our young people is to encourage them with encouraging words. The Bible says, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Well, join me for part two tomorrow as we continue on this study of five ways that we can bless students. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash one eight nine zero five five seven, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast.